Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Joining us today is Daily Maverick journalist Nonkululeko Nchilo as we look at various issues that speak to the fundamentals of democracy and reclaiming our political power. Here's what's coming your way. Causing a stink in Cape Town, the so-called livestock death ship reignites a decades-long debate. Eradicate pit latrines or else. Why government has failed to address this human rights violation. It is an indictment on our society that 30 years into democracy we are having this conversation. Let alone the fact that we still have more than 3,000 schools across the country with pit toilets. And we finally have an election date. We find hope in the youth of South Africa. But first, his death felt like a personal attack on democracy for many, as major world leaders condemned Russia for its treatment of political prisoner Alexei Navalny. Having died at a penal colony earlier this month, some are asking, why is the ANC keeping mum? Hi Nkululeko, welcome back to the whole week wrap with Daily Maverick. Thank you for having me once more. I am very excited to be joining you guys. Awesome, it's always lovely having you. So I want to get us started on a big global talking point that's kind of grabbed the world's attention and that is of course the death of Alexei Navalny in Russia. So I just want us to reflect a bit on the sentiment from the Western world, kind of major world leaders, what they've had to say, but also on South Africa's lack of comment. For some context, you know, as with all politicians, um, I, I think we can safely say that he wasn't a perfect politician. I mean, he had some very questionable comments on immigration in the early years when he started off. And he also supported the 2014 Russian invasion of Crimea. But ultimately, he became sort of this political figure that embodied the fight against corruption and this worsening clampdown on dissenting voices in Russia. So when he did die, it was almost like the world experienced it as a hit on democracy itself. I was kind of stunned. This is someone who staged, you know, war against corruption and anti-human activity. We've seen a lot of, you know, condemnation worldwide but we've seen nothing from a South African side. And, you know, a colleague was just showing how a senior government official had said, no, we will not be commenting on this because if you comment on this, then we have to comment on that, which is quite telling when you mm-hmm. consider our democratic principles or values. And it is a global conversation. And I think the ANC kind of taking this stance saying, you know, but there are so many other political prisoners across the world. Why should we just focus on him and essentially saying what makes him so special? And it made me really think about how the ANC, especially in recent years around Russia, around Gaza and around many other democratic ideals, they've been very selective when it comes 
comes to standing up for very basic democratic principles. Absolutely. I mean, we have been literally at the forefront in terms of what is happening in Russia and Ukraine, but we have not seen the same energy extended to other countries. If you remember last year as well, we had elections in Zimbabwe. There were a number of allegations around, you know, possible rigging, you know, possible hit on people. And these are things we should be standing or condemning in the strongest possible terms, but it has not been happening in recent years. And for me, it is quite concerning, you know, when a so-called democratic government starts kind of almost cherry picking the democratic fundamentals that they want to support, because that for me speaks to a party that is internally perhaps also having its own issues in terms of what it feels is right and wrong. Absolutely. And to me, I think it says we are not democratically matured. Mm. I think so, yes. Yeah, yeah. The Al-Kuwait ship came and went, but the conversation around the ethics of live animal exports is gaining steam. Sadly, this isn't a new conversation, with carte blanche having reported on a similar incident almost five years ago. And if global trends are anything to go by, it seems this cruel practice will continue unchallenged. So let's go on to our next big story. And this one is straight from Cape Town. Some residents of Cape Town woke up to a truly awful smell last week when a massive vessel called the Al-Kuwait docked at Cape Town Harbour. It's been dubbed by the SBCA and by other animal activists as the death ship. And this ship was carrying 19,000 cattle from Brazil. Now, according to a report by Daily Maverick that I read, conditions on the ship were absolutely horrific. I mean, some of the images that I saw in that article just broke my heart with these animals lying in their own waste, there's rotting food. And this has once again shone the light on live animal exports and the ethics around that. Absolutely. No, it was quite sad. And I recall seeing the images as well. And my colleague, Velani Luditi, did an, an amazing job in just highlighting the sketch because Cape Town residents woke up to a foul smell lingering around. And I know the stench was so bad that, you know, some companies had to send their staff home early. That's how bad it was. So, yes, it has sparked a lot of conversation around the legitimacy of doing this. And I think for me, it's quite ironic in this case because this cattle were headed for Iraq and we were informed that it was for religious purposes. Yeah, because then you had some of the Muslim organizations coming forward also in this Daily Maverick article saying, listen, we kind of understand where they're coming from, but we also want to remind everyone that we don't support cruelty either and that we feel that the treatment of these animals is completely unnecessary and that essentially when the animals left Brazil, they could have been slaughtered there under the supervision of Muslim. Muslim delegates. So he also said he doesn't understand why there is this insistence to transport these animals for weeks on end by sea when it's really not even necessary. It is a big one. I won't lie. I mean, if these animals had spent eight days just traveling and I think they're still expecting to spend some weeks in the sea, it really makes no sense. 
Carte Blanche also did a story on another livestock carrier back in 2019, which just shows you, you know, this is a long running issue. In this case, it had over 60,000 sheep from South Africa in this instance on board, and it was preparing to depart for a grueling three week trip to the Middle East. So little has changed since we reported on this almost five years ago. It seems like our port authorities and our local animal welfare authorities are essentially powerless. The most they can do is ensure the animals are comfortable while they're docked in South Africa. But beyond that, there's really nothing else we can do. I know in this case, you know, they had to conduct medical assessments. You know, they had to administer medical care. They would have been heavily criticized had they taken a decision, you know, not to do this. And I just want to kind of wrap this up with just some of the figures that I came across, because it seems not a lot of countries have taken a stance on this in terms of outright banning live animal exports. You know, only about three countries so far have really banned it. That's Luxembourg, New Zealand, and then the world's top sheep exporter, Romania. But there was a report by the UN that was released in 2021 that just blew my mind when I read it, nearly 2 billion animals raised for food are exported alive. The majority of those are chickens, but still 2 billion animals, that is frightening. So do you think it is time for South Africa to maybe join suit, maybe stand with New Zealand, Luxembourg, Romania, and just say enough is enough? Absolutely. In fact, I think it is a little too late. This is animal cruelty at its high point. So absolutely agree with you. Currently, 3,398 schools still have pit toilets. This according to the Department of Basic Education's own report. These rudimentary toilets often consist of a concrete slab with a drop of at least three meters, a drop that's led to the horrific drowning deaths of far too many children across the country. Deadlines have come and gone and government is seemingly unwilling to eradicate this clear human rights violation. But could a new order from parliament change things? Now, the next story, it's a matter we've discussed on the show many times before, and it's pit toilets. They're inhumane. They've led to the deaths of children across South Africa far too many times. And now Parliament has given the Department of Basic Education 60 days to essentially come up with a solid plan to eradicate pit toilets. What were your thoughts when you initially read about this or heard about Parliament taking this very, very strong stance and essentially telling the department, you had better start acting or else? It is an indictment on our society that 30 Mm. years into democracy, we are having this conversation, let alone the fact that we still have more than 3,000 schools across the country with the pee toilets, as was identified by the Department of Basic Education in its 2022-23 report. Secondly, I think it's not the first time that there's a call, you know, to eradicate pit latrines. I think it was in 2021 when the Polokwane High Court made the very same call, even though it didn't put a 60-day time frame. So the 2021 incident was following the death of the five-year-old at the time who had drowned in the toilet in one of the schools in Lipopo. So sadly, things have moved at a devastatingly low pace. And obviously, this is a huge infringement on the right to life, human dignity and basic education. So I think I was not 
you know, shocked. I was not surprised because our institutions have a history of not implementing crucial, I don't know, orders mm. or decisions. You know, there is absolutely no reason that we will still have so many of these pit latrines in existence. The issue I have is why does anyone have to order government in the first place to eradicate a clear human rights violation. I don't know, you know, especially with government saying, you know, they have plans to do away with these pit latrines by 2025. Honestly, if they maintain this attitude that they have now, I don't see them actually achieving that by 2025. I do not see them achieving it either. I think following the 2014 incident, they should have, you know, been up in arms wanting to fix it. It's a fight of some sort, which makes no sense because it is clearly a human rights violation issue. You know, I think it baffles me that even this petition before Parliament was brought by a member of the opposition Mm-hmm. and not the actual government itself. Why does anyone need to call you out on such an important issue? I'm quite outraged by this. What made me feel a little bit more hopeful is the fact that they were given 60 days to come forward with this plan. And it has to have a tangible timeline. It has to have deadlines. And government needs to report back to the committee on a regular basis with various reports and updates on how they are fixing this problem. So it feels like there is an effort somehow to hold them to account, but whether the department actually cares remains to be seen. We have had people being given timelines and not sticking by them. They've gotten away with it. But I mean, I am hopeful that ultimately they they up their game, I suppose, because it really, it makes no sense. I mean, it had to take a petition with 5,000 signatures. It had to go to parliament. It was an entire process to get here. Mm-hmm. So I'm not very confident when the issue has been there for years, more than a decade, yeah. if I may put it that way. So I'm not confident, but a part of me is hopeful or is hoping that they will come to the party and actually keep up with what parliament is saying. Mark your calendars. The 29th of May is election day, with the Independent Electoral Commission having formally proclaimed the day this past Friday. And while today's episode serves as a reminder of just how much has gone wrong in the country, Nongkululeko believes South Africa's youth and a renewed excitement around elections could hold the key to bringing definitive political change. We've touched on quite a lot of issues that also link up with elections and we finally have an election date. It felt as though we were all kind of collectively holding our breath for months and months as we were waiting for President Cyril Ramaphosa to just announce the big day. And when it didn't happen during Sona, there was almost a sense of frustration, I think. And then two weeks later, it was finally announced for the 29th of May. The announcement did come as a relief for a lot of people and I think even the numbers themselves show I remember the Electoral Commission of South Africa, the IC in short did confirm that you know there were over 500,000 new voters that had registered to cast their vote for the first time. That's half a million it's a lot so I think it's quite telling in I don't know the mood or the appetite for people to cast their vote Yeah and, and speaking to that kind of idea of an appetite for voting or for playing a part 
in democracy. A thing for me that's really stood out, especially if you spend just a little bit of time on TikTok, you'll see a lot of the South African influencers and news commentators kind of really making a big deal of campaigning for the youth to get involved and to go out and vote. And that for me is actually very encouraging because I think there's always been this idea of I'm just going to sit back and watch it all unfold because my vote doesn't matter. And it feels to me as though there's a change happening, especially amongst the youth, where they feel like this is our chance to change things and to really take control of the democracy that we want. Absolutely. I think we also have to give credit not only to the IC, but political parties and civil society groups, you know, for embarking on massive voter education campaigns just in terms of the young people participating. There's been research that says, no, they do not want to, they are apathetic. So I think it is quite encouraging that we've had so many numbers as a result of these voter education campaigns. In the 2019 elections, the country recorded the lowest voter turnout. So, I mean, we are hopeful that it will be different this time around. I think the conversation generally, people are excited. It almost feels like a 1994 election. And for the first time, we will see independent candidates being able to stand for elections, which is something that has never happened in the history of our democracy. So Mm. it is quite an interesting time ahead. No, I agree with you. People saying that this could be a seminal moment for our very young democracy are not wrong because there's definitely a lot riding on the outcomes of this year's election and yeah i'm going to take this opportunity to also urge all of our listeners to go out and vote reclaim your democratic power because that's what it's all about absolutely i'm keen to do the same and i know a lot of people in my circles have been asking me so what now that the president has declared the days. Obviously, the IEC will now ramp up its work to prepare for the logistics. You know, this is including getting enough election material from ballot papers to pens, ensuring that, you know, there is alternative to power because we obviously have an ongoing load shedding problem. So that could possibly, you know, undermine the process of voting. We'll definitely talk more about elections in the weeks to come and really unpack what the various parties are bringing to the table. But this has been an absolutely phenomenal chat. Thank you so much for joining us once again. This has been lovely. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for listening. Catch us again next week for another whole week wrap. Until then, why not join the conversation on Twitter, Facebook and everywhere else? We always love hearing from you.